Just the look of the call makes you so giddy to be an American duck hunter. Bring the beat back. Chad Belling back at you. Chad's an OG, but his call calling game ain't got nothing on me. Get them, boys. That's a duck. Hey, in this room, it's so hot in here, maybe I'll start to believe it myself. Welcome to the foul life. We merely exist in a duck's world. We train, breathe, and live by the migration. All of that goes into this crazy life of a duck hunter. We're steadfast, unwavering, the last of a breed. It is our right to hunt. I still believe it's a privilege, too. We are the foul life with Chad Velding. Proudly brought to you by Benelli, Bandit, Yukonuba, and Traeger. It's so foul, like birds and stuff. Everybody, what's going on? Chad Belding, the Foul Life Podcast, another edition of the Midwest Series. Today, yours truly right here, myself, I am the guest of the great Joel Clayfish on the Foul Life Midwest Series coming straight out of Wisconsin. We talk about wild game and the benefits and the recipes and the provider mentality. It excites me to think about all of the wild game that my crew, Joel's crew, we eat. Joel eats wild game every day, so do we. Every single day, maybe two or three meals, we eat some sort of wild game dish. We talk a lot about duck and goose hunting. We get into the Waterfowl Expo, the Wisconsin Waterfowl Expo that was held in Oshkosh. What a freaking show this is. Every August, it'll be back in August of 2024. The Foul Life, it will be the title sponsor again. I'm fired up for what they're doing in the state of Wisconsin. We got big news coming. I'm talking a huge announcement. A press release will be dropped. We're going to be working with Wisconsin Tourism Travel. Wisconsin and their entire crew. We're going to be highlighting the state and I'm talking everything from fishing and hunting and camping and football and cheese curds and walleye and fish fries and you name it. Wisconsin is an amazing place not to mention the original Miller Park right there in Milwaukee. I love watching Brewers games there. The great Bob Euchre aka Harry Doyle from the awesome, the best baseball movie ever made Major Leagues. Joel and I get into it. It's another awesome episode of the Foul Life Podcast Midwest Edition with Joel Clayfish, myself, Chad Belding and his guest today. I hope you all enjoy this. We're going to be right back. We need to pay some bills. Here's a couple words from our sponsors and partners. And thank you all so much for supporting all of the partners and sponsors that support the Foul Life podcast, the Foul Life Midwest Edition podcast, and the Foul Life TV. It means the world to us. We'll be right back with another conversation with myself and Joel Clayfish. Stream new and archived episodes of the Foul Life Midwest series on SoundCloud, iHeart, Spotify, thefoullife.com, or on your preferred stream platform and don't forget to follow us on your socials cuts like a knife i think that was brian adams stay sharp sharp dressed man that was billy gibbons and zz top kershaw knives they're all about staying sharp staying safe getting that meat off the bone getting those breasts off that breastplate of those canada geese those specks with skin on pluck a few feathers off and then cut it out let the knife guide you a little bit of pressure with your offhand just slicing through it a sharp knife is everything there's so much more danger that comes with using a dull knife and not staying sharp kershaw supports the american hunter the american fisher the conservationist the gatherer the provider our recipes every single one of our kitchen knives hunting knives fishing fillet knives are all kershaw we truly believe in the 
the culture of Kershaw Knives and their messaging, and they support brands like the Foul Life Podcast and the Foul Life TV. See them in action right now on brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life, airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We try to show the knives in action every week on different episodes when we're taking that meat, that bounty of those ducks and geese from the field to the processing, to the Traeger, to the table, eating that bounty, high-fiving, maybe a little bit of Jack Daniels or red wine or a bush light beer. It doesn't matter. Stay safe out there. Enjoy it in moderation, but don't be afraid to celebrate the hunt. And also, always having a Kershaw knife in your blind bag and being ready for anything that might come, whether you got to cut some grass or cut some parachute cord or cut some salami in the blind. They make saws. They make fillets. They make folding knives, straight blade knives, pocket knives. Every single blade that comes out of the Kershaw factory is guaranteed to be the sharpest. It's an unbelievable experience. Thank you, Kershaw. Thank you, Dominic. They're our family of knives right at Kershaw, the official knife and blade of the Foul Life podcast and the Foul Life TV. Thank you all for supporting Kershaw Knives. If you're tired of settling for second-rate gear that doesn't perform when it counts, look no further than Bandit, the ultimate choice for hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. From top-of-the-line hunting jackets to ultra-comfortable, meticulously crafted waders, Bandit has everything you need to take your outdoor game to the next level. Their gear and innovations are anything but average, designed to give you the edge you need to succeed. But it's not just their gear that makes Bandit stand out. Bandit accessories like their backpacks, blind bags, gun cases, and more are built to withstand anything the outdoors can throw at you. Head to Bandit.com and experience the difference for yourself. Choose Bandit and dominate the outdoors like never before. Goose 42! Goose 42! Set hunt! Get ready for hard-hitting outdoor action as the Foul Life Midwest Series with Chad Building and Joel Clayfish toss a Hail Mary at early season geese. So y'all got into them good this morning? Man, it was awesome. You know, we had a cold front come through last night, had about five dozen full bodies out, had some silhouettes out in the field too, and there were high flyers coming, and they just came to the calls like nothing. They suckered right in. Everything finished right in the hole. It was awesome. Today's Locker Room Outdoor Chat is made possible by Travel Wisconsin, the provider, Jargon Game Calls, Mojo Outdoors, and Benelli. Now, let's kick off the first quarter with Chad Belding and Joel Clayfish. So y'all got into them good this morning? Man, it was awesome. You know, we had a cold front come through last night, and finally a north wind. It's been like 95 degrees every day. Opening day was like 95 and humid with no wind. We crunched a bunch of local birds, but today we hit it in, in a field just north of where I live, right north of Watertown. Had about five dozen probably full bodies out, had some silhouettes out in the field too, and there were high flyers coming and they just came to the calls like nothing. They suckered right in. Everything finished right in the hole. It was awesome. How many decoys you have out? I think we probably had about four dozen full bodies, another two or three dozen silhouettes. We just, I mean, we ran a really basic U and uh, we were hitting, we had layouts. We tried to, you know, match the cover as best we could, but it was a, uh, we were hunting a cut right down to the bone in alfalfa field. So we just put, you know, grass and straw from the ditches on the layouts and it seemed to work great. They, they had no clue coming in. A lot of them that were, you know, they were flying by and they were real high. We flagged and flagged and flagged and that seemed to really help and turn them far away. But once they saw the spread, they just suckered and it was all, it was little groups. Um, two pack, a three pack, one four pack came in and the good news is everything that, you know, gave us a solid look, nothing got away. So we had 10, the guys are still out there um, right now uh, 
trying to keep going because they think it's going to be like this all day with the weather change. We got low cloud cover too, which really helped. So it, it's been real hot, you're saying, and then all of a sudden last night the weather started to change or, or this morning it did? It was overnight. We had a front go through. We were, we were uh, hunting last night uh, in my backyard. And of course, the geese I was scouting ended up loafing on the farm next door to us and literally walked up to the cut wheat field on the next door farmer's property. So we didn't really have a shot at them, but we got caught in a thunderstorm last night and got absolutely drenched. It was still, it was like 95, it's been like 95 degrees every day since opening, super humid, little wind. And, you know, the local birds that have been huntable and haven't been in, you know, parks or on baseball diamonds, we've got after pretty good. I mean, we had 52 opening, we shot 52 with 11 guys opening day. And then I hunted with uh, three people and then two, uh, three people and then three people again the other, the day after that. And we hit them, we hit them pretty good, but a lot of the geese that are, that were around on places we could hunt just kind of disappeared. So this weather change is a huge dynamic and it's fantastic. About yesterday, six, seven o'clock, the wind switched from south to north, kind of northwest slash north. And then overnight, I mean, woke up this morning and it was fantastic finally a crisp fall feeling day it was about uh, 62 degrees when we were setting up at five o'clock this morning and that with a strong north wind it was fantastic what is the long-term forecast does it look like it's going to warm up again before summer's officially over or does it look like it's going to consistently stay here well in wisconsin i mean 90 percent of the time we get an indian summer so we'll get like a cool snap and we've got we're supposed to be cool now with a north wind for about four or five days and then it looks like we'll probably get a heat up again which usually we get late september mid to late september even into october sometimes we'll get days up in the mid to high 80s but it seems like once that migration's on it doesn't they're going by the amount of daylight hours versus the heat Um, so we've we'll get migrators once the migrators start they'll just keep going and then they run through this area because they're split between the Mississippi River and Lake Michigan. And then we've got, you know, so many inland lakes here. They really use Wisconsin as a corridor heading south. And they, we get them from Canada all the way through um, till the end of hunting season, which is early January. So we'll get migrators all the way through into the snow and everything. So how does the season go? This is the early season. Is there a break between the early season and the regular season for Canada geese? No, there's not a break. It's, it's consistent. There is a, a break in the middle of the season where ducks start, then um, ducks are open for, I think it's a week this year. The season structure changes every year, but I think we're open for a week. And uh, then we have a break for ducks and geese. And then we, we finish out the season after that. But usually the way it happens is, and there's fights over it every year as to what the perfect time for the break is. Should we extend the duck season on the tail end? Should we allow the duck season to start earlier? You know, the good news about goose hunting during that is that once it starts in September with, except for that little break in the middle, we can hunt them all the way through the snow. And it really depends kind of not only on weather patterns, but just where the migration is this year. If it's following the Mississippi more closely, if it's following Lake Michigan a little more closely, that's what's the beauty of being in South Central Wisconsin where we are. We get it from both sides fairly consistently. And once duck season opens, 
then it's trying to decide every day you're going to hunt ducks or geese because the setup on those is slightly different. You know, you're, you're out there pulling mojos in the middle of the hunt trying, you know, cause the geese don't like them, but the ducks love them. So it's, it's, once it starts, it's just fun all the way through. Is Wisconsin known for a duck state like it is a goose state? Or would you say way more opportunity for Canada geese than puddle ducks? I know there's some diver hunting around Green Bay and the the Great Lake region, but what about puddle ducks? We get a ton of puddle ducks here. You know, Wisconsin is the state that kills most Canada geese per capita of any state in the country. And so I think sometimes people think it's more of a goose state, but I'm here to tell you, you can, you get everything from long tails on and around Lake Michigan. And we get, we see divers in bodies of water here all over the place. We see divers in ponds here. We shoot divers in ponds. We shoot divers, um, you know, in Okachi Lake right down the road. And we shoot a ton of puddle ducks. I mean, mallards, the greenheads here are as beautiful as they are anywhere in the country. I think it's actually kind of a hidden secret for duck hunting. And we duck hunt the fields here a lot. Now, a lot of guys, obviously, there's so many potholes in Wisconsin. There's more than 10,000 lakes in this state. So it's phenomenal duck hunting. And people, there are people who come here, but I think it's a hidden treasure because you come here at any given time, you're going to be able to duck hunt in the morning on a lake or a pond or a stream or a river or the Mississippi. In the afternoon, you can set up on a field for geese and have a, a fantastic good luck doing that too. So that's what's so exciting about it. There's always something to do in the fall. And we've got a great fall turkey season too. And of course, you know, uh, Wisconsin's known for its deer season. We have 600,000 hunters that had our opening day of gun deer. So it's busy. 600,000. That's incredible. That many. And it's only eight or nine, 10 day season. It's a nine day season. And the deer hunting here is a religion like the Green Bay Packers. I am telling you that they call it the Orange Army. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of how many of those guys and women go to deer camp and just play cards and have some old fashions. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm telling you, uh, there is an absolute barrage of orange and pink now uh, through the state on gun deer season. It is a religion here and people have cabins for it and they travel to Door County. They travel to the north woods of Wisconsin, southeast Wisconsin. And again, Wisconsin kills the biggest bucks of any state in the country. And of course, we have Buffalo County, which is kind of the center of that, the epicenter of big buck hunting in the country. Do you have to draw a tag for that certain area of Buffalo County or as a resident, can you go buy a tag over the counter and just go to whatever county you want? So my question in the end is, is there too much pressure on a county like that when it gets the reputation that it produces quality genetics and big bone like that? That's always a risk. There's no doubt about it. And what's happened is it kind of used to be you went up north to kill deer, right? You went up north. It was up north. And and the big question is, what is up north if you're from Wisconsin? It Some people, it means is Plymouth or Sheboygan. Other people, it means Highway 29. The further you get north, you're going to get into the Schwamagon Forest, where now we have a problem with wolf predation on some of the young deer that are up there. So is there pressure on those counties? Yes, there is growing pressure, but that's always, you know, the market bears what it can. So the outfitters who are doing the hunting in Buffalo County and the counties surrounding Buffalo County, you know, it costs a lot more to take have an outfitter to take you whitetail hunting in Buffalo County because of the reputation. But the huge bucks 
I mean, I shot a 142-inch buck in my backyard last year, right in Sullivan, Wisconsin, right in southeast Wisconsin, halfway between Madison and Milwaukee. Anyone can buy a tag. Um, we used to have earn a buck. You'd have to shoot a doe before you, you hunted a buck. That's not the case anymore. Now, you know, I'm as happy uh, harvesting a doe because I'm putting food on the table for my family with what I harvest. So I'm as happy to go out there and hunt a doe. And that's why I'm kind of picky about the bucks that I shoot uh, because they're going to end up on my table and potentially on the wall. But the entire state now, and particularly Southeast Wisconsin, has really grown as a place for folks to go to hunt deer because we're seeing not only growing numbers of deer, we're seeing growing healthy populations of big bucks. And so whether you're a young person getting out for the first time, middle-aged person trying it for the first time, you're going to have a great chance to harvest a deer in Wisconsin. And where years ago it was, you know, the numbers weren't where they are now. We've got really healthy populations. With it being such a big deer hunting state is it easy for a waterfowl hunter to garner permission from i assume that probably almost a hundred percent of the state besides maybe the forestry and the public parks most of that state's probably private so you have to get permission from farmers landowners i'm assuming um is it easier has it gotten harder in a lot of states, the reputation gets out, like I just mentioned with deer hunting, and then all of a sudden leases go up, day rates go up. I love the idea that farmers can supplement the value of their land through hunting season. Um, you know, they produce a crop and then they sit on it until it's time to plant again and get ready for next year's harvest. But in the meantime, they can make some extra dough with either day leases or leasing their farms for a goose hunter like you. Is it is it difficult to get permission or has it gotten harder since you started hunting, I should say? People ask me that question all the time. And I think at the end of the day, it's always about relationships and creating a genuine, uh, sincere relationship with farmers. You know, I make goose pot pies. I make goose enchiladas. I deliver them to the farmers that I have permission on. Um, and you, you know, go back to those farmers every year. Don't assume that you have those permissions. What I've noticed is that it's very difficult to get permission on private property or private land to hunt deer. Very difficult. That's like a coveted, like I said, religion in Wisconsin. If you're hunting waterfowl or turkeys, uh, you have a much better chance of getting permission. Now we're seeing it move in two directions. A lot of the farmers, you know, they, they don't want the geese and ducks and turkeys eating their crops. Those are the farmers that are real willing and want people to come in and hunt the waterfowl. On the other side, you know, sometimes when folks come in and they're in massive groups and they're leaving a bunch of shells in the field or they get in an argument with somebody else they showed up at the field with, I've seen farmers who've allowed hunting for years say, that's it, I'm done. Um, leasing wise, I say it's mostly deer leases in Wisconsin. And so far we get a lot of the waterfowl permissions that we get, you know, don't require a lease so far. Now I'm with you. I think it's great if a farmer can supplement their income by allowing somebody to lease their property. And we see a lot of that for deer in Wisconsin, but waterfowl is still seen as kind of, especially goose hunting is kind of seen as, well, if you're going to eat those things, you can come on my property and kill them. And the beauty of it is with things like the provider spices and rubs and the cookbooks that are out now that have to do with 
you know, wild game, we're much more able to put fantastic tasting wild game on the table. So it's gone both directions. And I think at the end of the day, the availability to hunting land is going to depend most on the continued respect and relationships you have with farmers. What about the politics of Wisconsin with with the last election and the national news that came out of the state? And we don't need to get in, into any particulars. Um, your governor is pro hunting is he anti hunting is he pro revenue this state has the the potential to draw a lot of tourism from hunting fishing outdoors camping hiking is it a safe assumption joel that that wisconsin is a hunter friendly state when you start throwing around numbers of 600,000 deer hunters or are the hunting rights in jeopardy when you see things happening in states like Washington and Oregon and California and Idaho, you mentioned wolves, all of the politics that go into the wolf seasons and harvesting of wolves and predator management. Do you fear for that in Wisconsin with your current government or is it pretty supportive of the overall outdoor lifestyle, including hunting? Because hunting is usually put in a different realm than hiking or kayaking or even fishing, which blows my mind. You could go out and catch a hundred walleyes on a, on a frozen lake in Wisconsin and kill every one of them and eat them. But if you see somebody killing a hundred, you know, a group of hunters kill a hundred geese in a week, it's kind of shunned down upon, you know what I mean? Fishing has a, a totally different look outlook than hunting does. So what, what is your opinion being a, a local of the state, a resident of the state? I mean, you were born and raised in Wisconsin. Are you fearful at all? Or do you think your government supports hunting as well as the other outdoors? Look, every Every single person who engages in the outdoors in any fashion, from fishing to hunting, kayaking, mountain biking, we're always concerned with access issues and our ability um, to utilize the natural resources in the state of Wisconsin. But what I'll tell you is Wisconsin's a state that actually had a constitutional amendment passed that was voted on by the people to make hunting and fishing constitutional rights in the state of Wisconsin. And whether it's this governor or a previous governor of a different stripe, their administrations are welcoming to hunters and fishermen and, and people who utilize the outdoors. Because in Wisconsin, Wisconsin is synonymous with use of the outdoors. We've got an incredible history in trapping. I mean, there's a trapper on the Wisconsin state flag to this day. We have an incredible history with foraging in Wisconsin. We get the morel mushrooms, the um, pheasant back mushrooms, uh, wild asparagus every spring. We're one of the biggest cranberry growers in the state, uh, in the country. So that all fits so well with the harvest to table kind of thing, revolution you're seeing, Wisconsin's been way ahead of that. Our harvest to table eating and supper club dining, that's all been part of Wisconsin's history and its culture for decades. And hunting and fishing are synonymous with recreational activities in the state of Wisconsin. You see entire cities pop up on frozen lakes with shanties, with heaters and cooking and bunks in them, you know, during the walleye season and the sturgeon spearing season through the ice. You're, the hunting heritage, you can't be an elected official in this state and not give credence to the, the Orange Army, 600,000 people who are out for opening of gun deer season with virtually no accidents 
people take hunting very seriously. They take the safety of it very seriously. And it is not uncommon to be at the corner bar or tavern and have venison sausage passed around or to have goose sticks passed around. That's something that is just so ingrained in Wisconsin's culture that when people come here from somewhere else, not only do we have some of the most welcoming people in the country, we've got some of the most diverse, ethnically diverse food, cuisine, and then we've got this kind of field-to-table attitude where you walk into a bar and you see mounted horrible-looking deer and duck mounts from the 40s and 50s on the wall like they're about to fall off or the, you know, the eyes are about to fall out all the way through, you know, beautiful taxidermy that was done, you know, in the past 10 years. It's such a part of our culture, such a part of our love, and, and such a part of who Wisconsin is that it's almost a shame when other people from other states don't see it. And that's one of the things that I'm so excited about, to be honest, is showing people the joy of Wisconsin and how that comes through in the outdoors, how to use it, be part of it, while making sure you're part of the conservation efforts to make sure it stays that way for our kids and our grandkids. Right. It's so important to make sure that those resources are carefully watched. And I think that that's absolutely true. There's nobody, you know, within the Department of Natural Resources who is not available to contact. If you're just a regular hunter, they have a DNR helpline here where you can call and ask a question, of course. That's to everybody's benefit if there's a gray area. And, you know, with with hunting laws in all the different states, there are always gray areas. So I'd say that it's such a part of the culture that no matter what administration I've seen since I was a child through, you know, now, they've always been very open to the fact that Wisconsin is hunting heritage in Wisconsin is something that is important and cherished uh, versus shunned. I like that. All right, Joel, let's take a short break. And when we return, Joel and I will dive deeper into Wisconsin hunting heritage. Stay tuned. The Foul Life Midwest Series with Joel Clayfish. You are not going to believe this. The Foul Life is going to work with Travel Wisconsin, and we are going to be the official show of Travel Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Department of Tourism. Wow, that's phenomenal. Don't flare. Joel will dish Wisconsin's explosive waterfowl secrets after the break. Have you become a member of Camo Space? Have you built your profile? Do you want to be able to celebrate the hunt, your fishing trip, your shooting excursion? Are you tired of being shadow banned by other social media facets and platforms? The Reed family in Maryland has designed Camo Space to be hunter, fisher, conservation specific. Share your recipes, share your videos, do it with pride. Go on there and learn in the tutorials and the instructional sections. Download the app today. Get Camo Space, get the merch, wear it with pride. Update your profile daily with stories and photography and videos. This is what social media should be for everybody. Our experience should not be altered because we have pride in being an American hunter, a worldwide hunter, a fisher, a camper, an outdoorsman, an outdoors woman. Camo Space is fighting for all of us and they're giving us a platform to share our experiences, tell our stories, create our memories, create our legacy. Camo Space is all about your legacy. House it there, own it there, update it daily, tell your friends and family about it, and let's build the Camo Space community. They're the official social media platform of the Foul Life podcast and Benelli's The Foul Life TV. You'll see us hunting with the Reed family. We represent them. We're proud to do it, just like my brother Michael Waddell at Bone Collector is. Become a member of Camo Space today, build your profile, and let's build this army and community at Camo Space. Thank you all very much. 
Hey everybody, it's Chad Belling with the Foul Life Podcast. I'm so excited to announce the 2023 Benelli Migration Madness Sweepstakes. From August 1st through October 31st, 2023, go to shoot-on.com. Again, that is shoot-on.com forward slash Benelli Migration Madness for your chance to be entered to win over $15,000 in prizes, including a collection of Benelli Super Black Eagle 3s and 3.5 inch 12 gauge, 3 inch 20 gauge and the new 28 gauge all decked out in the new Realtree Max 7 camouflage pattern. Also included is a $4,000 online shopping spree from our friends at Banded, Greenhead Gear, and Avery Outdoors, plus three cases of ammo for each of the SBE3s from Federal Premium and a pair of Wing Shooter Alpha Shield hearing protection that are valued at over $1,400 a pair. It's the 2023 Benelli Migration Madness Sweepstakes brought to you by our friends at Banded and Federal Premium Ammunition from August 1st to October 31st. Again, go to shoot on.com forward slash Benelli Migration Madness to be entered to win that $15,000 in prizes. I'm Chad Belding. Good luck to everybody. It's halftime on the Foul Life Midwest Series with Chad Belding and Joel Clayfish. And our outdoor players are anxious to get back on the field. So a couple Saturdays ago, you had the Wisconsin Waterfowl Association Expo in Oshkosh. How did it go? Oh my gosh, off the hook. I mean, I think they had probably 150% through the door that they had last year. Jargon sponsored a meat calling contest. It was the first one ever. You could do everything from learning how to shoot a gun. I did a cooking session. How did the rub sell, the provider rubs? Oh my gosh, off the charts. We sold boxes of them. We ran out of some of the different flavors. We're inside the 20 with plenty of time left on the clock. So let's give thanks to Corning Ford, Bandit, Oakley Sunglasses, Rigid Lights, and Vortex for supporting these outdoor plays. Now let's rejoin the Red Zone with your hosts, Chad Belding and Joel Clayfish. We're back, and you're listening to the Foul Life Midwest Series with me, Chad Belding, and our host, Joel Clayfish. But do you think, Joel, that historically across the country, you travel quite a bit. You go to Florida, you hunt in Texas, you travel to states on vacation with your family. Do you think Wisconsin has a reputation as a hunter state? Like, if you went to the uh, diehard whitetail hunter in Illinois or Kansas you know, there's big whitetail all over the country now with all of the farming for wildlife practices, which is awesome. There's great herds, but you go to Iowa, you go to Illinois, you go to Kansas, you go to that center of the, you know, even Nebraska has got big whitetail. They're killing big whitetail in Louisiana and Arkansas now. Do you think that people look at Wisconsin, besides the deer hunting part of it, because I bet you if we went to the whitetail world, there's a lot of people that that are diehard whitetail hunters would be like, oh yeah, Wisconsin is a place you got to hunt. I was just talking to a very, very serious turkey hunter, one of the best turkey hunters that I know of. And I'm like, do you want to join me in Wisconsin this spring for a turkey hunt? And he like jumped at it and said, heck yeah, I've never hunted there. And I'm like, what? He's like, well, that's a lie. I have hunted here, but I've only hunted for deer there. So do you think people look at Wisconsin as a turkey destination, a Canada goose, mallard duck destination, diver duck destination. Do they look at Wisconsin as even a fishing destination or do most people go to Minnesota because it's been established and showcased and marketed so well as the land of 10,000 lakes, uh, the fish of 10,000 casts, the muskie, the walleye fishing is tremendous there. And then you got states like South Dakota that have done a great job marketing their walleye fishing. Do you think most people consider 
Wisconsin a destination? Uh, the answer, you just hit on every point I would have hit on. And the answer is no, they don't, because it is a hidden gem. I mean, you talk musky f- fishing. You can catch uh, coho, chinook salmon, zephyrellin, brown trout, uh, steelheads, rainbows on the Great Lakes. We have some of the greatest trout streams in the country in Dane County, right where the capital of Wisconsin is, Madison, Wisconsin. Within 10 minutes, some of the greatest trout streams in the country. But everybody goes out west to fish trout in the streams in Colorado. Everybody, you know, thinks of Minnesota to go fishing. We've got the world record muskie caught here. You can catch muskies, walleyes like crazy. The bluegill fishing's insane. The crappie fishing's insane. And yet you can come to a state, crappie fish and bluegill fish and perch fish in the morning and be on Lake Michigan catching ocean fish, salmon, trout uh, in the afternoon. That's all available right here as far as hunting goes everyone thinks of you know iowa the big bucks in iowa or you know oh i've got to go you know down to arkansas to shoot ducks and we're killing ducks here on the puddles on the streams on the rivers Uh, the mississippi river pool nine we were just talking about it the other day the bass fishermen on pool nine and now we have culling in wisconsin some of the largest bass fishing tournaments in the world take place in wisconsin right on the mississippi river and you you can have two boats next to each other and they're going to split off one's going to duck hunt the mississippi and one's going to go for some of the biggest bass that exist in the country right next to each other everything is here but what some of those other states have done is concentrated so much on telling everybody how great their state is wisconsin is ripe right now for others to figure it out come here and have the hunting or fishing destination of their life you know turkey hunting is something that i'm absolutely into uh Killed eight turkeys this spring with a bunch of new hunters. Killed something like 11 turkeys last fall. This is one of the most fantastic eastern turkey uh, harvest states in the country. I hunt Florida for the Osceolas. I've hunted Texas for the Rios. You know, Wisconsin, and it's literally a matter of driving down a road early in the morning down country roads, looking for turkeys at at daybreak, watching them come off the roost, knock on the door of a farmer, you know, bring some hot sticks along with you, a a fresh loaf of bread, bake a loaf of bread and say, I saw some turkeys out there wondering if you mind if I hunt them. And the welcoming spirit of this state is that you probably end up with a spot to hunt the next day. And I don't know. One of the reasons I take people turkey hunting or goose or duck hunting is because I don't like to take a brand new hunter who's not going to see something or not going to be a part of an exciting hunt fairly soon into doing it. Yes, I'm with you. Watching a sunrise is beautiful. Hearing the woods wake up is an incredible feeling. And nowhere in the world does it feel like it does in Wisconsin. But seeing that game that you're after. I've had people sitting next to me in the turkey blind who say, I just don't know if I'll be able to pull the trigger and then they're climbing over me to grab the gun once that turkey hits the edge of the field can i shoot yet that's the most exciting thing about capturing someone and getting them to understand what it's like to go and harvest something that's going to be on your dinner table that evening of your own hands and that is replete in wisconsin and to answer your question no i don't think the rest of the country understands that because you've got all these places that people think of doing something oh if i want to hunt geese 
I go to North Dakota. If I want ducks, I'm going to Stuttgart, Arkansas. If I want to get sea ducks, I got to go to the East Coast. That's not true. You can hunt sea ducks right here on Lake Michigan with some of my buddies. Your buddy, the former warden, uh, hunts sea ducks out of his layout boats with incredible success. He gets limits of long tails out there and scoters and you name it on the sea ducks right in Wisconsin in the morning. And then in the afternoon, you can be in a field hunting puddle ducks and get some of the most beautiful plumed out mallards. You saw them when you guys were here. I mean, big orange feeded Cheeto feeded mallards. It's really kind of an epicenter. I get so jacked up talking about it because I get through the summer of Wisconsin just yearning for September 1st to come. And when it does, the opportunities are so endless. You're literally trying to make a choice every day. You know, I got a stressful job like a lot of folks. And I think when they want to break from that job, there's nothing that does it better than sitting in a duck blind with your buddies. Your stomach sore from laughing as, as hard as you can. And all of the communities in this state, you know, my daughter and I, we have this thing called Newtown. We will take on a map a range of 30 miles and just point to a town and we'll go there on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. And we will just experience it. The towns are so unique in Wisconsin. Each one's Got to have a supper club. They're going to have a tavern on the corner. They've usually got a bait shop. And so we'll park in some town that we've never been to before, never explored before. That's barely a dot on a map. And you're going to find things you have in common with them. And that's the beauty of people from Wisconsin. When you come here, they will reach out to you to find what you have in common and you'll feel like you're home. Yeah, that's how I felt when I was up there. I've been there several times, you know, whether it was baseball or events around the Milwaukee, Green Bay area, been to Madison in before but hunting it and seeing the small town the rural communities that you're describing i brag about them i love the taverns i love the lifestyle inside of them the camaraderie the goose sticks or the deer venison sausage being passed around the churches and the fish fries because of you know the catholic religion and settlement there i assume with you know lent and good friday and all of that now all these taverns and bars have friday fish fries um the the cheese curds the culinary. No, don't get me started on cheese, man. It's not healthy for you, though. Well, sure it is. It's a good source of protein, very low in carbohydrates, no carbohydrates, good source of protein. It's fantastic. Do you think it is? It's one of the things my doctor said I could eat. Really? Yes, absolutely. Even with the, because you're, I, I assume, a heart doctor, he didn't tell you to stay off of the, the cheese with all those saturated, or the fats and the oils? No, because um, he said that you're eating good fats because they're natural fats that you're eating and cheese is very high in protein. It doesn't have, I have a high protein, low carbohydrate diet, which is what so many more people are, are leaning toward now. So the cheese industry in Wisconsin, there is nothing that you can like or dislike that's not somewhere on the spectrum of cheese. We're the last state in the country to make Limburger cheese out of Monroe, Wisconsin. We still make that Limburger cheese that smells like dirty feet in the locker room, and it's awesome. I love it. Some people can't stand it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. You go to Baumgartner's in Monroe, you can have a Limburger cheese and liver sausage sandwich, and that's right up my alley. But if you're somebody who likes the milder cheeses, our whole milk, milk mozzarellas and cheese curds man when i travel to other states 
I take cheese curds with me because many other states have never even tasted them. They don't even know what they are. And that's when they grow the cheese in the cask. The curd is the rich part that overflows over the top and squeezes through the top of the cask and they cut it off with a knife. And there is nothing better. We've got bars that have melted cheese curds on sandwiches. And then you want to talk about the Green Bay Packers, the Brewers and the Bucks, all extremely successful professional teams that people come to see. And those teams are like religions. Green Bay Packers, man, the tailgating, you're going to have cheese for sure. You're going to have beer at that as well. And all the different kinds of venison, sausage, and food you could ever imagine. And that's why Wisconsin is like I say, it's it's hidden. But as those people start to discover it, they realize what a love for this state uh, you will have and how quickly it grows because you really can do everything here when it comes to the outdoors. And what is the number one thing people want after they go and they work hard in a field or up a creek or row in a canoe or a kayak or climbing rocks or staying at, uh, at a campground? What's the number one thing you want after you're tired and hungry? You want to eat. And the cuisine in Wisconsin is unstoppable from the Polish heritage, German heritage, Latino heritage, uh, the Asian um influence from those folks who settled Wisconsin back in the early 1800s, they brought their culinary aspects with them. And so there are sections of Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay, Appleton, that you can get the different culinary cuisine from that is literally from all the cultures of the world. And they're all mixed together. I mean, there are there's Serb Hall, which serves the largest fish fry in the state every Friday. And a lot of places still serve fish fries on Wednesdays and Fridays, because like you were saying, that was Lent and, and there was Ash Wednesday. So Wednesdays and Fridays became the fish fry day. Now it's a staple and you get to try the different little slightly different recipes that in, have Polish influence or German influence and the different coleslaws um, from the different European influences and the Mexican food you, you get on the south side of Milwaukee or the north side of Madison. It's unrivaled with anywhere but Mexico. It's that good. And one of the things that is so exciting to me as a cook, as somebody who loves to cook wild game, I love to take those different cuisines and see how I can translate them into wild game. I was just making Michoacan style uh, wild goose street tacos the other day. You know, you get your goose made in the crock pot and after that you flash fry it in a pan and then you get it crispy on the outside and that's the Michoacan region of Mexico used to make that meat crispy on the outside but you still got to keep it moist in the middle. There's no end to what you can do creatively with wild game. I had morning dove for dinner last night. I battered it in pancake batter and fried it because I wanted a little bit of that sweetness before it hit the saltiness of the rubs and the sauce that I put on it. So you had carbs on your dove last night? No, I had keto pancake mix. Keto pancake mix. Was it good? It wasn't, it wasn't bad, actually. It was pretty good. Pretty true to form of, of tasting like a pancake. But I was going for that, you know, some Wisconsin's state fair is one of the biggest in the country. And I, I really was craving a corn dog, but I didn't have any hot dogs. So I basically made morning dove corn dogs. It was awesome. Will you be bringing any cheese curds when I see you this month in New York? Come on. Of course I will. I think I brought 
five or six different kinds last time I came. Is your wife going to shop for him like she did last time? I don't know. I mean, we're pretty, yeah, it's pretty crazy around here. So she might have to do that for me. Now. She's around the house a lot more lately, which is very nice. Are you looking at her right now? No, she's out. She's out of the house right now. But uh, so who did you, who, who did you hunt with this morning? I hunted uh, Lucas Schramm, Julian Young, and uh, two guys that I had not met before. It's it was a matter of I, I went one day so far during this early season without hunting, and it drives me nuts because I think that's a missed opportunity. But I had too much other work going on. Julian texted me last night, "Hey, you want to try to traffic tomorrow morning?" I said, "Sure." I got a podcast with Chad today, but I can hit it in the morning. What are our chances, do you think? He's like, I don't know, but it's a decent traffic field. And we set up a ton of decoys, had a nice hide, and we're able to harvest 10 uh, before I had to get out of there. And those guys are still at it. So I wonder what, what the number's up to. So a couple Saturdays ago, you had um, the Wisconsin Waterfowl Association Expo in Oshkosh. Yeah. It's a one-day event. It happened on August 26th this year. We were the title sponsor again, the foul life, the provider jargon. We've, we brought in some of our partners, Kershaw Knives, Yukonuba, Realtree, Banded. We had a, a really cool display. You guys, you put a team together again. Please tell the team, thank you very much. I don't, I don't even know who you had there really, but let them know that we truly appreciate it. How did it go? Oh my gosh, off the hook. I mean, I think they had, uh, probably 150% uh, through the door that they had last year. I mean, it was just jamming at eight o'clock in the morning and there was more to do this year than you could ever imagine. You know, Jargon uh, sponsored a meat calling contest. It was the first one ever. We had 17 people enter it. It was fantastic. Uh, former state duck calling champion Mark Kakich was a judge with me and Bruce Ross from the Waterfowl Association, Wisconsin Waterfowl Association. And you, you could do everything from learning how to shoot a gun, uh, trap shooting there. You could show up and say, I've never shot a gun before. And by the end of the day, you could be fairly proficient with the understanding of the safety aspects and how to swing a shotgun on wing shoot in a wing shooting situation. I did a cooking segment. I made uh, wild goose pot pies for 150 people. We had standing room only. And then I made a final one in front of everybody and, and baked it. And that's what the crew ate because we were crazy busy it was unbelievable we had people sampling the the rubs and spices all day long blowing the calls um people were coming up talking to us about yukonuba um, we had leashes to give away and hats that was phenomenal uh, we did a kershaw knife giveaway that was very popular people loved that and they were just you know, it's perfect timing for this event because it was like five days before the opening of goose season and people can come there and learn everything from dog handling to outfitters to calling. I mean, the selection of calls is phenomenal. Calling clinics, um, you know, from people who are steeped in the waterfowl industry. It is literally a candy store for anyone in who's interested in waterfowl whatsoever. And to be a part of it is not only fun. The day is such a whirlwind. It just goes so fast. 
because there are so many events and the people continue coming to the booth. And, you know, one thing that makes me really happy is how many people who go there are excited about the cooking aspect of wild game. I think that's something that's in its infancy, but really growing quickly. We did not see wild game cooking as necessarily entertainment before. I think people took it. Butter and onions is the term you used to hear all the time, butter and onions. I think we're so much beyond butter and onions now. And that's really something as people are looking for lean proteins and eating proteins from the wild, from the harvest, really organic stuff. I think we are on the very front end of what is going to be absolutely massive. And that is the field to table movement and the different recipes. We literally went through bottles of spices of people sampling them a quarter teaspoon at a time because they say, wow, I didn't know wild game could taste like this. And that's the key for somebody who is apprehensive at first to try wild game. Look, my wife never tried wild game 13 years ago, wouldn't even try it. Now that's all our family eats. So I think it's just a matter of being able to tailor that game to taste the way you want to do it. And that fits into any recipe, really. How did the spot, the rub sell the provider rubs? Oh my gosh, off the charts. We sold boxes of them. We ran out of some of the, the different uh, flavors um, because it was literally whatever flavor we were sampling at the time was the same, the flavor that would sell out. So, I mean, drop time is incredibly popular. Fowl, uh, the, the swine is a very popular flavor. You know, we didn't have a, a pink fish there uh, to try the spawn or that would have sold out because when you have your pink fish, and that's the thing about Wisconsin, I've got salmon and trout in the freezer and that spawn with its ginger and soy based flavor in there is phenomenal. You just cannot beat it. Then if you want to double it up with a little bit of a dip in a teriyaki sauce or a glaze with that, I'm telling you, that is an explosion of flavor that is unrivaled. And, and, and then, and then the flaky on the whitefish. So I've used that with the trout and the walleye. Absolutely perfect. We sold out of the cookbooks we had four boxes of cookbooks sold out of all of them. You know, people were really excited when you can show them a simple way that's not complex, that doesn't take an hour and a half in the kitchen to take wild game to the table in a way that everybody um, from grandma down to the grandkids is going to enjoy eating it. So the, the cookbooks sold out like within the first hour and a half. It was crazy. It was super fun. Did you need more cookbooks? Yeah, obviously. We ran out of them. And and like I said, that that's something you never think in today's day and age, everything's available on the internet, right? People still like to look at a picture and have the words in front of them while they're cooking. They don't want to have to keep reactivating their phone because it sleeps and then scrolling through something. They want a cookbook to look at. And the funny thing is my provider cookbook, all the pages are like crusted together and there's flour stuck in it because I like looking at something while I'm cooking and not scrolling through my phone and having to reactivate my phone when I'm doing it. And people will do something for the very first time if it's not overwhelming. If it's simple to them, they'll try it for the first time. And all you have to do is put that one dish in front of someone else and have them look at you and say, this is unbelievable. This is nothing like what I thought it would be. And then you as a cook will be satisfied and excited 
decide to do that the next time. The explosion of waterfowl prominence in that area with an event like that, the one day event, it seems to me like it would probably carry over into a second day event, but it's a consumer show. It's kind of the kickoff to the season. They're, they're kind of, you know, fired up. They're getting that itch, just like the rest of the country. A lot of them might be going to Canada, getting ready for the early teal, early goose. As far as like the energy and the culture of the place, are they, is it something just to pass the time as far as their deer hunters just looking for the culture that day? I mean, they're there to buy because you said that they bought a bunch of stuff. A lot of those shows, people come looking for giveaways. They look for deals. They look for discounts. But when you start throwing in the cooking demonstrations and people, you say, use words like standing room only and people are seeing these pot pies and they're tasting them and they're sampling the rubs and they're buying the rubs. They're getting jacked up for this entire filled to fork Wisconsin mentality that we've been talking about for years. What does it do when you watch that happen? Like personally, what does it do to you? And, and then how that energy and that, that aura spread because you, you preach it all the time and, and, and a lifestyle like that can become, well, I do that every day, you know? So it's not like it doesn't get me that fired up. My point is, Joel, is that sometimes when you do it every day, you hunt every day, you cook wild game every day, you're feeding people every day it can become tedious. It becomes work. You got to be results driven. You got to get sales. You've moved into a new realm of your waterfowl career now with our entities and our brands jargon. You got on your hat. You just talked about the provider rubs in the cookbook. You have banded on right now. Um, you're shooting a Benelli shotgun. You're wearing Oakley sunglasses. You're shooting black cloud. You're wearing real tree. You're, you're supporting the foul life with the Midwest podcast series. Has it brought a different aura to you as far as, man, I don't know what I chewed off here. I got to have a talk with Chad. Like, I just can't turn my hobby, my love, my passion into a revenue game to where I have these pressures to perform now because that can happen. So when you see a a show like that, where you used to walk around with a non-alcoholic beverage in your hand and people are drinking beer and they're high-fiving and you're talking, now you have pressures of like, I got to sell all these cookbooks. I got to sell all these rubs. I got to sell these calls. I got to move this banded stuff. It, It brings an entirely different realm to the hunting mindset when you turn it into where you have to have to get results. You don't have, you don't just get to go out and you're blind with your buddies anymore and cut up. You do, but you have to get content. Now you got to have your phone out. You got to be doing this and you got to be doing that. Has it changed for you? It's funny. You should bring this up because some friends and I were talking about this the other day. Look, everybody says, yeah, I want to make a living in the outdoor industry, right? Everybody who hunts and fishes or, or is in the outdoor industry, says, I want to, I'd love to make a living in the outdoor industry. And I think one of the things that I've been able to do, and you've been able to do it too, because I've been with you in a blind when we got cameras on the side and we're recording and we're recording, you know, the shell going into the shotgun. What happens is you become like you have a symbiosis with an understanding that the work that goes into it and the products you're selling or the products you're pitching, what you're working for that has a retail end of it is also what gives you the ability to do the thing you love as much as you love to do it. When I go hunting, 
and someone's like, oh, you're going to go hunting again? I can look them in the face and say, this is part of my career and part of my income. And I'm telling them the truth right straight to their face. When I travel and hunt, I know I'm doing cooking segments for the provider and stuff you might use on provider TV or on the Foul Life Instagram or on Jargon's Instagram. I know that. So when I'm working for product sales, for the provider, the rubs, the spices uh, at an expo, you're combining three different things with it. One is that I'm a driven person. You know that I'm driven to sell that product because I believe in that product and that product on someone's table and in someone's kitchen is going to make their wild game taste better. And there is a part of my soul that hurts when hunting numbers go down. And I know that if that person puts that on their table, it's going to be one other person who's trying it, who might try hunting so they can use that product and, and create a great meal for them. So that's part one of it. Part two is my ability to actually get out there. And if you work in a career that even part of your income, a portion of your income is made in the outdoor industry, that gives you a reason to do the outdoor industry. Excuses disappear when I know I have to get content. Excuses to get to the turkey blind in the morning or get up at three o'clock in the morning to get to the goose blind or duck blind. Those excuses disappear because you know you've got multiple reasons to do it. And then the third thing about it is that you become a part of something that can influence a broader range of people with the understanding of the importance of protecting our rights and our desires to utilize the natural resources of the country. So when those three things combined, yes. Is there more pressure? Yes. Is there more stress? Yes. Does it come around to a fulfillment of a symbiotic relationship? It has to, because I think a lot of people who say, yeah, I want to be a TV guy and make money hunting. Oh, Oh, I want to hunt all the time and get paid for it. Everybody would love to do that. But I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of work that goes into it. You know, the amount of work, making sure your sponsors are happy, making sure you have a product you believe in before you're selling it. And when you have those things, when those things align, when I'm out there in my banded gear and it's pouring and I'm not getting wet and I'm still warm, you're darn right. I'm going to be talking about banded gear because it's working when I'm out there, when I'm cooking with the provider spices and rubs and the right wing sauce, buffalo sauce. I'm saying this is the best product I've ever tasted because it is. So it makes it a heck of a lot easier to sell when you believe in the product. When I'm calling and my calling has improved over the past two years in leaps and bounds on a jargon call, it's because and now I believe in that jargon call and I'm not just spreading baloney when I tell people what it sounds like. And the proof is in the pudding. When we're killing geese and we've got them on the dinner table, you know, we've got five a day per person per day limits right now. I have zero in the freezer so far because I've cooked all of them. So when you get to combine those things, the answer is, of course, the pressure increases, the stress in increases. Uh, but when you have the opportunities from the umbrella standpoint, from the 30,000 foot perspective, to see that you have a chance to influence people who may never have seen the glory of what it means to get up with the sunrise and come home with dinner without ever having stopped at a grocery store that makes it all worth it. Yeah, I agree 100%. But it, does it take away when you're laying in that field and you know that you have that pressure on you, has it went through your mind like, man, I wish I could just go back to 
enjoying this hunt and picking up and going to the cafe with the guys and not have to stand here for a half hour, 45 minutes after and get photos and B-roll and all of the stuff that Chad demands? <laughs> yes, of course. Of course, some of it's work and of course, some of it's hard and it'd be easier and maybe even occasionally more fun to not have to worry about it. But the bottom line is, Chad, if those things that I do like that are going to literally allow me to hunt more and get out more, then it's okay. Look, life gets in the way of everybody who hunts, right? Some guy might be able to only hunt for an hour because he's got to be in on a Zoom call or an office meeting, you know, to sell farm supplies or um, get into the car dealership to try to sell cars. Life gets in the way no matter what aspect of it you have. So to be able to say I'm putting material together for Chad that's going to work to a, a higher power of getting others involved in hunting, that only exacerbates my joy of it. Does it make it harder? Sure. Does it take away some of the pure fun of it? Maybe it does, but maybe without it, I don't get in the field as much as I do. And that is a healthy trade I'm willing to make any day of the week. Well, all right. So it's a trade out. You got to, you have uh, pressure on you. You feel it. You have thoughts go through your mind that do I really want to have to do all this extra work? It's a ton of work? It is a lot of work. It's great. The rewards are unbelievable, but it's, it's not just going out and hunting anymore. It's, it's being in, in, in the entertainment business and the sales business and the manufacturing business. And you're trying to create a culture around these brands to, to get people to join in and, and be part of the team and take ownership in them and be cons- in consumers and customers and end users of the of the product and you sit there and you try to enjoy the hunt as much as you can and and use it as the the release like your 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 therapy your your yoga your your uh meditation like that's that's our zen right is putting that goose call or that duck call to our mouth and sending the dog on a retrieve or a blind retrieve and I'm not saying that other hunters don't have it on the back of their mind when they're out there hunting. Like I took a week off of work, like an entrepreneur, they're like, I got to get back to the office. A guy or a girl that might take a week off and they got a week of paid vacation. They, they still have pressure on them. They got family. They got, they got all of that going on. The difference is, is that your livelihood now depends on the results you're getting out of every hunt and the work that you're putting into it. So the guy that has pre or the girl, the guy has pressure at work, they get to go hunting right. and use it as relief and, and a release of right. oh, just like a letdown, right? You're not being let down. It's just like a letdown. Like you're, 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 you're relaxing. You're being one with nature. But when you're working in the outdoors and you're out there, I always ask myself, am I really getting everything I need to be getting out of this hunt? Am I feeling like I did when I was giddy to be in the duck blind when it was just us buddies having a maybe a, a tobacco, but I don't do it at all anymore. I never really did it, but that was one of the things, you know, I don't do, I would never do it on TV, but you'd throw in a Copenhagen or talk a little bit different in the blind when the cameras aren't rolling, you know, like you can't really just cut up the way that you do when you're not being filmed all the time. And then on top of that, your mind always goes to, well, what else can I get? The dog's coming back. I better get out of the blind. I better get my phone on. Better get that shot. Better get this. Better get the cameraman over there. Get the B-roll of this. Get the drone up. There's there's nonstop pressure. It's not really pressure. Just nonstop brain activity that you're really not paying attention. But, 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 but my point is, is are you getting everything out of the hunt? You're paying attention to the hunt. You're focused. But are you getting out what the hunt's supposed to be giving you? That's the question I always ask myself, because now you're like, 
I need to work. I need to, I need to get pictures of these decoys. I need to get these blinds. I need, this is our product lines. We need to sell all this stuff. It's, it's a different mindset and a different mentality to where people think they want it. And then when you get out there and you say, all right, guys, everybody stop what they're doing. Don't get out of the blind yet. Leave your guns, take all the shells out of your guns, but close the action, put them on safety. I want to make sure that the, the chamber's clear, the magazine's cleared. Keep your calls around your neck. Don't take your calls off and put them in your blind bag. Don't, you know, take in all the natural vegetation and concealment off of the blind. Stay exactly where you're at. And now this camera is going to come down and you're going to put your eyes to the sky and act like you're looking for geese and you're going to start calling and I'm, you're going to go off of what I'm doing. And uh, Joel, you're going to raise the flag up and get that sound of, of the flag behind the guys calling. And then people are like, wait a minute, we've been here 45 freaking minutes since you called the last shot and geese are still flying. Ducks are still flying. We're not hunting anymore. We're doing all of this tedious BS that in in eight months, they're going to see the TV show and they're going to be like, oh man, that's awesome. But was it really worth it? You know, it, it took a lot of work. We didn't get to go eat biscuits and gravy right away. We didn't get to go, you know, go scout right away. Whatever it is, it's a different approach, a different mindset. So I was just wondering, a guy like you that started hunting late, you know, you were in your late 20s or 30s, I think, when you started hunting. You're 52. So you have a, a newborn energy now because now hunting is different than it was when you started late in life. And I was just wondering, like, does it? tread on you does it weigh on you because i'm demanding i mean everybody knows that no you are very you're very demanding chad and and while i mean think about what the question you asked and think about today i literally had to leave a hunt early to come do the podcast so would i have rather stayed at the hunt of course i would have rather stayed at the hunt you know than to have to leave to do the podcast but doing the podcast is one of the reasons that i get to hunt now it might be slightly different for me because I never hunted before TV. I had, I had a local television show about fishing before I hunted. So the very first hunts I was ever on and the very first experiences I ever had with hunting, I had a television camera in tow. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe I never had those purest hunting opportunities that you're talking about as much. But I will tell you this. I do not have a different level of excitement when those birds start curling over and look interested and sound interested, regardless of the level of pressure to get the video or get the shot. I was in the blind today in between things, working on arrangements for the Fowl Life's visit to Wisconsin this fall, lining up, you know, folks who are going to be scouting for us, uh, lining up different creameries and potentials for places to visit while you're here. Uh, looking at some Airbnbs with neighbors in the farming community. I mean, so for me, and, you know, the phone is good and evil. I call it the three by seven that, you know, I tell my family, get off the three by seven. Life happens in three dimensions all around you. And we now place so much emphasis on this three inch by seven inch two dimensional device, but it also has its benefits. So yes, I'm working on it as the same, at the same time that I'm hunting. But I think if that shot that goes from your head down the back of your spine, when those geese, when you hear the geese or the ducks and you see them starting to get interested in your decoys, if that excitement, if that shot down your spine disappears, then it's time to reevaluate. Um, and what I can say is now I understand 
It's like when I went to college, my dad said, you better get good grades or we're pulling you and you're done. Well, I went to such a great college and enjoyed it so much. It was the catch 22. I better study a lot in order to be able to stay here. So for me, it's both the work and allows me enables me to uh, support my love of hunting. They work together. So that trade out to me is completely worth it. And if that aspect of excitement and bringing food to table were to ever lessen or disappear, I'd have to reevaluate because right now it's the highest high I have in my life. And I, I don't think anything could replace it. So you're happy that you're working with us and you're not you're not having second thoughts. Okay, I get it. You, you're not having second thoughts. You, I know. I know it's had to have gone through your mind. Like I'm, I'm going to kill Chad if I ever hunt with him. <laughs> All of this work that he has me do. But I get it. It's one of those things. It's that, you know, we have a podcast called This Life Ain't For Everybody. And I didn't name it that because hunting's not for everybody. Hunting is for everybody. And everybody has a different walk of life. Your life's not for me. I wouldn't want to go to the state capitol every day and dress in a suit, right? But you do. And that life's not for everybody. But you get a lot out of it because you're working with handicap and wheelchair assistance. And you're lobbying for all of these rights and this funding, and these budgets that you want to fight for to get these different groups so they have better advocacy and they have a better value of life. What your wife did running for governor and and and, and all of the results came out there. That's not for everybody. Campaigning, campaigning across the state and all of your energy and all of your resources and all of your, your family savings. And you can't do that stuff for free. There's an investment to do that. And that life's not for everybody. So everybody has different pressures. Every life is not easy. Life is ups and downs. It'll kick you in the gut more so than it'll hug you. It's a beautiful life and we're blessed and we're very fortunate to be able to exist this way, like that we can make relationships and meet people and it's just, it's crazy. All of the things that go through my mind about our human body and, and, and how we're made up and how, you know, the theories and everything that goes behind it. The bottom line is, is that we're only here Very limited time. for a little while, like a blimp on the radar and you have to enjoy it and you have to figure out, you have to pick your battles of, do I want to hunt for a living and turn my passion and love of the outdoors into revenue and the pressures that come with that? Because it's non Stop. It does not stop. What it's if, nonstop and it is not easy. If you get into it, it's one of those things. Are you petting that one of those dogs that you have? Yeah. Which one is that? Fancy. You love fancy. I do. Yeah, I don't know. Fancy, come here. Fancy. She won't even there she oh, oh. Hey fancy. There you are. My duck dog. My duck dog is gun shy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I this has been a good one, Joel. Wisconsin, early goose has started. This is the best time of the year. We're rolling from the Wisconsin Waterfowl Association Expo that happened in Oshkosh on August 26th. Make plans to attend it next year. It'll be in Oshkosh again right around the same time. Check out the website for WWA Wisconsin Waterfowl Association, and they'll be posting dates for next year. They might already be up there. Get involved. Get a booth. If you're a vendor, go walk it. Enjoy it. Who knows if it's going to be one or two days next year. Be safe out in the Wisconsin woods woods and cornfields and alfalfa fields and wheat fields don't choke on a cheese curd when you're blowing on your jargon short read goose call don't pull a muscle when you're running after uh the geese because joel's gun shy dog isn't retrieving them be safe out in the deer woods when you get out there in november holy smokes over six hundred thousand hunters during the gun season for white-tailed deer in the state of wisconsin 
Let's have a fish fry together. Let's have a cold beer together. Let's do something to unite hunting. No more infighting. No more egos. Everybody say hello to each other. Everybody say good luck. We're going to have a great time when we get up to Wisconsin. Hopefully in November this year, we have a big announcement coming with the state of Wisconsin. You'll probably hear that announcement in the month of September or the beginning of October. We're excited. Joel was a big part of that. Check out Joel's podcast series, The Foul Life Midwest. Check out brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life TV airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We're getting ready to hit the road to film season 16 of Benelli's The Foul Life. And don't forget this 9-11, this coming Monday, September 11, 2023, The Foul Life presents Have We Forgotten, a one-hour special documentary-style TV show showcasing what 9-11 is still doing, the results, the aftermath, the backlash, what firefighters and first responders and people that were around ground zero for those 12, 15, 18 months after the attacks on our Twin Towers on American soil. Have we forgotten? We don't want to forget. Watch the one-hour special. I hope you do. If this podcast happens to air after the TV special airs, please let us know what you thought. We're very proud of it. Make a donation to the charities we're working for. These families need our assistance. It's the heart of a hunter. We went to New York last year with our good friend, Nick McNamara. Joel joined us at Basswood Lodge in upstate New York, where we hunted with Jim and Bo Hodges, both FDNY firefighters. We had a blast and we learned a lot. Then we traveled down to the city. We went to their firehouse in Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, the Bronx, went to the boroughs, went to Yankees games, visited the Twin Towers, where they were, where Ground Zero is, where the new Freedom Tower stands, where all of the ponds are now in the falls, the museum of 9-11. It was hard to take. We saw the original firehouse that was across the street from 9-11, where the first responders to the attacks came from and went into those towers. It's an amazing, humbling journey to go there and to see how those planes approached And to do it because of hunting and getting to go to New York because of hunting and turning it in to a trip and a tour with FDNY firefighters and NYPD police officers, it was amazing to learn what America and New York and Manhattan went through that day. And when you see this and you learn about Jim Hodges and his brother, Bo, and what they're facing now and how what they've lost since 9-11, it's mind-blowing. It's eye-opening. So let's get involved. Let's get it into our school curriculums. It's part of our American history. It's probably not probably. It is absolutely the worst day in American soil in the history of our world. So check it out. Have we forgotten the 9-11 tribute produced by the foul life? It's going to air this Monday, September 11th, 2023. Thank you, Outdoor Channel. Thank you, Mitch Petrie. Thank you, Katie Gladstone. Thank you, everybody, for helping us make this happen. My brother, Clay, my brother, Clint, and Tom Rashashin, who absolutely knocked it out of the park with this production we hope you like it thank you for listening to another episode of the foul life podcast with joel clayfish again the host of the foul life podcast midwest series new episodes of that coming soon and like i said a big announcement coming out of the state of wisconsin for the foul life the provider and all of our brands here at jargon banded american almond beef Um, we're very proud we're privileged we're very blessed thank you for supporting the partners and sponsors that support us We'll be back at you with another episode of The Foul Life. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you all soon. Chad, who would you like to thank? Like to thank?
partners like Benelli and Federal and Mojo and Realtree and Bandit and I'm talking about that feeling of like Avery, Kershaw and Mickey Thompson, Jargon and Gator Coolers. I want a sponsorship from Irish Spring right here at Breaking It Down. The Provider, Lear Campers, Bodyguard Bumpers, Rigid Lights, Corning Ford and our Ford trucks. Can you imagine? Sig Sour. This time of year though, I've been finding myself like craving Yukonuba dog food, Mossy Pond Retrievers, Traeger Grills. It had something else with it right now and I can't remember what it was. That's what we talked about, getting back to the basics, understanding fundamentals. And who would say that? This podcast has to be the greatest thing ever. The foul life. It's so foul. Like, ew. Not foul like that, like with a W foul. Have you heard of the fun button? Flascap has reinvented the way we use tumbler cups. Everybody's got a tumbler cup. Come on, let's admit it. This tumbler cup is different. The matic lid is different. The six, the nine. Nobody wants glass in their boat. Nobody wants glass anywhere because of what can go wrong. If you go into your buddy's boat and glass breaks, that's a no-no. So you got your mixers in the cool. You might have a two liter of Coca-Cola, classic Coke Zero. You might have some club soda in a plastic bottle or a can, stuff that doesn't break and get glass that's nasty and will cut your feet up like no tomorrow. The flask cap allows you to store your spirits your jack daniels in that matic lid and with one touch of that fun button it disperses a shot into your mixer down there with your ice your coke whatever it is you can have vodka you can have gin you can have tequila we choose jack daniels tennessee sour mash whiskey and you have your cocktail for the day Remember to enjoy it in moderation. Never allow underage drinking. Be safe. But Flask Cap supports the culture of the American outdoorsman, the American outdoor enthusiast. And they keep it safe, they keep it ethical, and they keep it fun. The entire brand, the culture, the messaging is exactly what we're all about here at The Foul Life. We're proud and honored to be teamed up with Flask Cap. Check them out at Flaskap, F-L-A-S-K-A-P dot com. And you are going to be so happy and take pride. Get your name on it. Get your logo engraved on it. Again, it's all about moderation. It's all about safety. Be careful with that fun button. One is enough. Two can be a lot of fun. Three is way too many. But you're going to keep that glass out of the boat, off of those beaches, and you're going to have a blast consuming alcohol through the Flask Cap. Again, thank you for supporting Flask Cap. I'm Chad Belding with the Foul Life Podcast and the Foul Life Television. Thank you all very much. We cook a lot, and we like our wild game to be legit our recipes mean a lot to us out of the box unorthodox thinking that provider mentality we eat what we harvest we eat what we catch i love the organic lifestyle and nutrition and diet we eat wild game seven days a week in one meal sometimes two and three meals my daughter Alyssa loves eating wild game my nephew chase all of our family has grown up and still lives on the value of sustainability and napa valley olive oil is there for us the Particelli family are hunters they're fishermen they're outdoorsmen they're gatherers they're providers they are old italian heritage that loves the outdoors and this product napa valley olive oil located in the wine country of napa it's an amazing place the store is amazing the salamis the cheeses the fresh italian meats the sodas the pastas all of the different anchovies everything that you need to do to be a complete outdoor chef and even if you're cooking domestically napa valley olive oil is bottled old school style the brand is amazing the flavor is amazing the culture of napa valley olive oil the friendship we have with ray ray and dante and jules and stefano and the entire family the entire particelli clan means the world to us 
Get online, NapaValleyOliveOil.com, and order the different flavored oils, the garlic, the lemon, you name it. They have it. It's Napa Valley Olive Oil. We're proud to have them in all of our recipes at The Foul Life, The Foul Life TV on the Outdoor Channel, and The Provider Life. Look for more recipes at TheProviderLife.com. Get yourself a provider cookbook. Napa Valley Olive Oil is all over it. Thank you to the Particelli family, and thank you all for supporting the brands that support us. The Foul Life. There you have it, another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, the Midwest series. Joel Clayfish is awesome. Check out that energy. The dude loves his life, his family, the outdoors. He started hunting waterfowl at a later age in life. He hunts all over. His history, his story is so cool. He used to have his own TV show that was a statewide TV show in Wisconsin. He used to be a newscaster. He's covered some unbelievable stories in all of the cities of Wisconsin. And now he's a lobbyist working for the right reasons in Capitol Hill there in Madison in the capital of the great state of Wisconsin. A lot of good times to come in the state of Wisconsin. Like I said, big announcement coming with Travel Wisconsin. I cannot wait to get up there in November of 23 and get on some walleye fish fries and some cheese curds. We're going to work out when we're up there. We're going to visit gyms when we're up there, local businesses. We're going to visit Vortex Optics and hopefully St. Croix Rods and hopefully Matthews Bows. There's so many great hunting industry companies, excuse me, companies that headquarter out of the state of Wisconsin. We're fired up. I love this series, the Midwest series right here at the Foul Life Podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud and Spotify and Pandora and Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Hit us up, info at the Foul Life and let us know if you want to hear a specific guest or a specific topic. A lot of great episodes coming up. We're going to be with Jargon Game Calls co-owner Chris Cifrio talking duck calling, goose calling. We're going to be with Tony Vandemore again. We got Terry Demon from Mojo that was just on the show. We're going to have him back for another episode and so many other personalities that we're going to meet and talk to along the way of our trek this season, Chasing the Migration, filming season 16 of Benelli's The Foul Life TV. You'll find it in 2024, airing exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. But don't forget, new episodes are airing right now in October, November, December of 2023. We got some awesome destinations, including Oklahoma, Wyoming, California, and Louisiana. I'm not going to spill the beans, but they're great episodes. They're exciting. A lot of hunting, a lot of great personalities. I'm Chad Belding. Thank you, Joel. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Foul Life Podcast Midwest Series. We'll talk to y'all soon.